listening to the CIPD podcast series. Back in 2010, we made a podcast for this series about social media in the workplace. Back then, most of us thought that as organisations learned more about it, they'd soon start to become less anxious about the risks and more open to the advantages that it might bring to their businesses. But it hasn't happened. The CIPD has just published a new study looking at how employees and policymakers use social media right now. It reveals that while we are seeing attitudes change, we're definitely not seeing that social business revolution most experts predicted. True, millions of us do use social media at work, but only a quarter of us are using it for work. And that's not surprising when you hear that half of all organisations still ban social media on their office computers, even though it's no secret 70% of us now own a smartphone. Outside the workplace, social media use has skyrocketed. Here in the UK, 93% of 16 to 24-year-olds and half of 45 to 54-year-olds use social media every day. And while they might be doing it at work, they're not doing it as part of their working life. Johnny Gifford is a research advisor at the CIPD and he's the author of the new report. There's about one in four of us who, who are using social media for work compared to three in four of us who, who are using social media for personal reasons. So it's, it lags behind in the world of work. It certainly does. So today we're asking what's stalling the process, what organisations really feel about social media and what might change employer attitudes. Of course, many organisations do use social media, but most only see the value in its external capacity as a tool for engaging customers and building and enhancing their brand. Perhaps it's no surprise then that the social media survey revealed that the key reason many organisations don't use it is that they just don't quite see the point. And according to Gemma Roycroft, who's UK and Ireland HR director at Tunstall Healthcare, a blogger and a great advocate for weaving social media into work, those so-called vanity metrics we're all familiar with, such as likes and followers, are actually pretty meaningless. Having lots of followers doesn't really mean anything. It's whether those followers then uh, translate perhaps into purchases if, uh, of your products, if that's what you're aiming to do, uh, or engagement with your brand. So followers for followers' sake, I'm not sure I really understand. Social media, if it is in workplaces at all, is often very token. And even if you've established an internal communications platform, Johnny Gifford doesn't believe it necessarily means you're really a responsive or a progressive organisation. In and of itself, introducing a social media platform into your organisation is not going to transform the organisational culture. Yes, it's going to give people a platform to, to have a voice, but it's not going to make the organisation listen more. The tendency of organisations to use social media in only tentative or token ways largely stems from nervousness about the possible pitfalls of letting it operate freely. And that fear can look well-founded with an increasing number of social media workplace cases reaching the courts. Ron Kane is a consultant solicitor and tutor-in-law at Leicester University. He thinks social media is provoking some very interesting questions. Who owns Twitter followers and is there a value to Twitter followers? Laura Koonsberg, who left the BBC a few years ago, had uh, some, something in the order of 6,000 followers. But they were following her at Laura BBC. When she went to ITV, her followers migrated across is there a value there? You know, it's kind of interesting territory. 
LinkedIn is the cause of some legal wrangling too. A recent case in relation to LinkedIn involved a publisher who wanted to restrain employees who'd left the organisation from making use of that employer's LinkedIn groups. And that employer succeeded in the High Court in getting an injunction to restrain them um, using it. It seems to me that there's a degree of aversion to social media technologies because uh, some employers are probably a little bit concerned about letting the genie out of the bottle. Well, I'm sorry, employers, the genie's out of the bottle. Get used to it and manage the genie. Smartphone ownership has doubled in just two years, so any efforts to ban social media at work are, as Ron said, pretty futile. One survey found that the average user checks their phone over a 100 times a day. So, clearly, we're not ignoring social media updates, even at our desks. If you want to waste time in an organisation, you'll find a way to do it. If you want to tweet about your company, you'll find a way to do it. So you've really got to embrace it. The conversation's happening uh, anyway, which is what we usually say about social media. I mean, we've all been talking about social media for quite a long time now. It's not new. Obviously, it's evolving, but it's not new. Are you surprised that the level of understanding is still quite low if we take the view that so many organisations are still trying to block it, ban it? Is it surprising they haven't quite grasped the potential here? I'm not sure if I am surprised by it within the HR community. Uh, I think quite often within HR, we can be a little bit risk averse. We worry about the worst case scenario. We worry about employment tribunals. Um, We worry about whether we can manage these things effectively. So it's sometimes a little bit easier to take that route of trying to close it down and stop it. But I firmly believe you can't. So to your earlier point, yes, I think it's growing. I think the understanding is growing, but I think it's still small. And, you know, I I see that uh, within the HR community. There's a very, very active community of bloggers and tweeters. But when you look at it in the context of uh, the wider uh, HR community in the UK, it's still a really small piece of it. When it comes to workplace-related social media use, LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook are now used by employees at all levels in organisations that allow it. Interestingly, though, the CIPD findings show that senior leaders are the most avid users of social media for work purposes, perhaps because networking is particularly important for this group. And networking is just one of the ways in which Gemma uses it too. I probably started to use Twitter a couple of years ago, but I'm blogging about 12 months ago, I think. And why do I use it? It gives me lots of different things. It gives me ideas. It gives me challenge. It gives me great connections. So like many things, when you start off with social media, those relationships are virtual relationships. You get to know people online. But for me, that then transitioned into meeting uh, some of these people at things like tweet-ups and social and networking events. And then they've progressed into relationships, uh, collaborations and friendships as well. So it gives me a lot of different things. And is this all around you as Gemma the HR? Or is this also around you as Gemma the private individual? I think it's a mix of both. But that's Um, a bit of a vexed issue for employers, isn't it? Because that's their worry, isn't it? Who, Who are you? tweeting in about their organisation. Um, and do I tweet things about my company sometimes? Yes, absolutely, I do. Certainly things like jobs, I will tweet. But I mean, that's safe turf, isn't it? Do you ever tweet about stuff that's perhaps a bit more controversial? No, and I wouldn't, because I think you have a responsibility to your organisation. So no, I would never tweet uh, controversial things about my employer. I might very well tweet controversial things about HR. 
Meanwhile, Tunstall Healthcare, where Gemma works, is slowly beginning to use social media internally too. It's been something the rest of the organisation hasn't traditionally uh, used a great deal, but it's something we are increasingly using uh, much more. A lot of that has been around the traditional reasons that employers do it, so developing the brand and certainly recruitment, but we're starting to use it in other areas now as well. What sort of things are you doing with it now? Well, one of the main things we're doing is using it for internal communication collaboration. We've started to use uh, the social platform Yammer internally, and I see that as just one of several channels uh, that we will use. We still do the traditional stuff too. We still do the newsletters, the executive roadshows and briefings and and the sort of the face-to-face stuff. But I think what something like Yammer does, it's just one more tool within a communications framework. The business benefits of using social media to open up and improve communication inside the organisation are well established now. Employees who said their organisations benefited a lot from social media were more likely to have a strong sense of their core purpose and to feel confidence in their senior leaders. And even though the research does show that only 12% of users are actually doing anything on social media that directly relates to revenue generation, Johnny Gifford doesn't think that's a bad thing. Personally, I I thought that that was quite encouraging because one of the key findings about this is that Social media, as it's used in the world of work, is very much about sharing. It's about helping others as well as helping yourselves. If you think about the, the way that social media is presented very often in the media, posting selfies and boasting, what our research shows is that the use of social media is it's not as narcissistic as often is implied. It's perhaps a bit more noble. It's about, very much, it's about being part of something that's bigger than yourself. And it's not transactional. Yeah, we use it to, to, to generate revenue, to find new jobs. But it's the activity, inherent activity in, it, in and of itself. That's what's of worth. As well as engagement and internal communication, learning and development is another area where social media is starting to make ripples. In the past two years, there's been a significant increase in the number of HR and L&D professionals who think social media can play a crucial part in the way that training is delivered. But how can organisations harness those benefits? For Gemma Roycroft, it's all about being organic and individual. I think for me, I've learned and developed through social media personally. Um, I learn through tweets, I learn through blogs, I learn through the people that I've met. You know, I'm sort of print things off I, it sends me towards articles all that Peer-to-peer sort of thing learning. absolutely yeah. so I think I've used it a lot for learning I encourage my own team to use it for learning um, because it's always there and of course it's so accessible and it's it's cheap too I think the day um, where you used to sort of about 12 of you would pitch up to a, a training room uh, and sit looking at facilitator for you know nine to five with a, a load of powerpoint slides has really come and gone According to Johnny, this form of L&D is just as valid as more formal versions and organisations need to start using it right now. If you look at the numbers of employees who have access to e-learning through online platforms, it's relatively low. But if you look at how people use social media to find out more about stuff they're interested in, that doesn't need to be directed by organisations and it's happening all over the place. So I think, I think that through social media we can broaden how we think about learning and development. So do you think actually the learning and development part of this is bigger than we're realising? It's just that it's not organised by the companies. People are doing it for themselves and so perhaps it's not being measured. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that people do their own learning and development. And I think that organisations should have conversations with employees to think about how they can support that if they want to support learning development. Another way of looking at this is to see how social media can sit alongside more traditional face-to-face methods. Mike Collins is head of customer experience at DPG PLC. In 2007, he attended an industry event exploring what a networked organisation could look like. And he was so inspired, he got straight down to building his own network. That very night I went back and uh, and started my own community using a a platform and just without any kind of guidance or without any strategy, just launched it within my own L&D team. But from the start, Mike ran into suspicion and anxiety. Straight away, there was a there was a fierce amount of resistance to it. Was there? Absolutely, from from my colleagues in L and D, from the uh, management teams within the organisation, and it wasn't necessarily the fact that it was the tool; uh, it's the fear of the unknown. So how did they articulate their problem with it then? Um, it hadn't been through rigorous governance and sign-off procedures. <laughs> okay. uh, there were no guidelines. But I, I, you know, my, my personal opinion is sometimes you've, you've got to uh, ask for forgiveness rather than permission. The online learning community set up by Mike now has nearly 2,000 members here and abroad, all supporting each other's professional development by sharing ideas and networking. And Mike's under no illusions about why that might be unsettling some L&D facilitators. It does threaten the traditional approach to learning and development that, you know, you might have heard, you know, terms like the sage on the stage or, you know, I train. Um, And what we're moving away from is this this, this role and this idea of you being a trainer and the, the holder of all information to one of facilitative learning where you are helping people connect themselves with information and to connect with one another. All this doesn't necessarily mean that traditional L&D techniques are going to be wholly replaced by social media, but there is now good reason to think they will come to be augmented by it, and it may change the relationship between the trainer and the trainee too. Some ways in which I've seen it used very effectively is, is getting groups together before an event, getting them then to share the outputs of that event and the necessary tools, and then the follow-ups in which people can continue to converse, continue to post uh, and, and share. But again, what it, what it needs is it does need a sort of uh, facilitator, a community manager, if you will, uh, within organisations, within learning and development, to be able to provide guidance, direction, to facilitate conversations. So, where does all this leave HRs trying to find the right balance between empowering their people and protecting their organisation? I think there is a need for uh, policies in place for social media. I think much of the work that's been done on social media in the world of work to date has been very much focused on the legal side and very much focused on the risk side. We need to get beyond that. So we need to start talking about uh, how social media can actually benefit the organisation and not just think about risk aversion. However... We do need to give people clear guidelines. Um, You need to have clear expectations of of what is and isn't acceptable. But there is a tension that needs to be managed too. Ron Kane. The trick between getting the balance right between the rights of employees on the one hand and the rights of employers or organisations on the other. Within that, you've also got to have the balance right between the right of the privacy rights but also the the rights of freedom of expression. According to Ron, the most important thing of all is to make your social media policy crystal clear to everyone. 
That and constantly updating it to keep it current, because in the social media sphere, things change fast. I think organisations, obviously subject to their size, ought to think about having a small group that keeps the uh, social media acceptable use policy under regular review. And that's the trick for me. And I think that you need to have that group comprised of the right people. You need key line managers. You probably need one of your IT um, experts. HR have got to be involved because they're going to be alive to the implications and they're going to be tapping into their lawyer. But the other dimension for me is make that group multi-generational. Um, and across all levels of seniority? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because if you, if you don't, dare I use the expression, get down with the youth, you're missing a trick. And perhaps Gemma frames the challenge facing organisations most clearly. I think for me, right now, social media presents both individuals, HR practitioners and companies uh, with opportunities. What I don't think you will have in the long term is a choice. Get this right and you could reap excellent rewards and perhaps even completely reshape your organisation and power structures in ways you never imagined. Here's Mike Collins. For me, it's about flow of information within organisations. So you either you know, have depositories and you, you either kind of lock information away or you try and help that information flow around your business. And for a lot of organisations, it's, it's a cultural shift from you know, the command and control kind of, you know, we say you do, to one of openness, transparency and two-way communication or, or many-to-many communication where organisations can tap into you know, a rich vein of experience and wealth of knowledge that they didn't know they had. Um, I like one of the phrases, quiet talent, in that you know, they have people within their organisation who have a, you know, fantastic knowledge, but they might not have the confidence or the, the presence or profile to be made aware of. However, using these tools, anybody can have a voice within your organisation. And I think for leaders, I think for HR departments who recognise that, they can start to tap into people power and you know, collective intelligence within your organisation. been listening to the CIPD podcast series.